Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young uh, superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be down in flames. I felt like bombs in my style. I felt like bombs in my style and skills. I only do so. From a distance. Hey, welcome back to the Chess Underground. I am here with international master Casa Corley. Casa, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much um, for joining me and for sitting down to talk to me. Casa, you, you have like a really interesting chess story. Let's start sort of at the beginning. How, how did you get into it? What drew you to the game and what brought you into the, the world of chess? Yeah, wow. That really takes me back quite a bit. Um, <laughs> but um I guess the brief synopsis would be that I started playing, or I, I knew how to play chess when I was five. Uh, I don't actually know how I learned, um, but I, I knew how to move the pieces and play and so on. And uh, some of my earliest chess memories are connected to uh, the neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up in Harlem, uh, mm -hmm. in uh, in uh, you know the heart of New York City. Um, and uh, I took I was in public school at the time, and you take the yellow school bus to school. Um, I say yellow everywhere. I assume so, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I um, always picture it must be right. Okay. So like, I was wondering if even like in other countries, it's like yeah. they have yellow school bus. I don't know. But anyway, I took the yellow school bus to school and, uh, to and from school and, uh, where I was actually picked up and dropped, dropped off, um, a block away across the street basically was, uh, a guy named Sonny, uh, Sonny Gibbs, who sold flowers on the corner and also happened to have a bunch of chess sets out. And so I would get off that school bus and actually uh, play chess with him in between his sales. Um, wow. And okay. he would talk, he would talk a lot of smack while, <laughs> you know, he was giving me the business. And essentially, uh, I would go pretty much almost every day from school um, and, and, and just get, get some games sometimes almost until, uh, and until right before nighttime. And my mom had this rule, like, don't, don't be home when it's dark or I'll be in trouble or grounded or, or whatnot. But, um, basically that kind of really was one of the initial kind of touch points. And, uh, by the time I was seven or eight, I was winning the majority of the games. And so it was like, okay, I've, I've kind of made it here. Let's try and get some other other make it other places too. You you've you've reached the milestone of defeating Sonny, so now we can we can move on next level level up almost. Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, like he was probably, I mean, I, I can't say for sure, but he he probably was maybe like somewhere in like the twelve to twelve hundred range, I would say. But it was just awesome that what he did for many kids in the community, like myself, he gave people to kind of like he gave up people a place where they could you know, kind of, uh, 
just connect with others and um and it, it was just a good thing to do for kids in the community and actually uh when i was in college uh which okay is uh was in i think it was in 2014 or 2013 actually they actually the he was actually being threatened to move off the block because he didn't have a permit at that particular time and my mom was so incensed with the prospect of this guy that's done so much for the community getting getting the boot like that that she rallied uh, a bunch of signatures and so on and there was an article in the New York Times about him and uh and he managed to stay um so wow. so uh so yeah he he was really kind of like a a a, a pillar um and I actually moved uh, uh, a, a little bit further, like about a mile south from where uh, Sonny was and where I, I originally uh, grew up playing against him um, when I was in like element when I was in like middle school. But I would still come back, you know, every every now and then, just kind of pay pay my respects, you could say, you know, um, <laughs> show, um, you know, you know, just pay pay it back in, in any way I could. Right, pay it forward. That's awesome. So you are completely self-taught um i know a lot of people out there are trying to you know learn chess on their own and kind of do a similar thing what are the secrets you know how i I guess let's start right there how did you get to a point where you went from hey what is this game that this dude over here is playing to i can beat sunny now yeah so some of some of those uh, secrets frankly i still keep to myself because i'm an an active player so um, yes at some point down the road i I will i will uh hopefully write write a book or or tell my story a bit more uh tell that part of the story but i think because i think initially what i'm doing now basically to improve and get better is is definitely a little bit different than i did when i when i started Okay. Um, I think when I started, it was really like a dogged determination. And I think you find this with people that get into chess and, and all of a sudden become interested is they play it enough where it's difficult to ignore. And so uh, for me, I really enjoyed the throws of competition and um, uh, chess and basketball were the avenues through which I could do that. Um, in fact, it, until I was maybe like 21 or 20 or 21, um, or maybe 22 Ch- chess and basketball were pretty much, I was, I was the same level in both. I would say, um, there were, it was not far off. Um, and so I always used, you know, chess and basketball were the vehicles through which I could compete and I enjoyed, I enjoyed winning. I enjoyed the process that got you to the point of winning. And so when you lose and uh, I was frankly getting it handed to me by Sonny initially, I kept coming back to the table. And so I think a lot of that determination is, is kind of the initial thing. And I'm someone when I, when I lost, it was constantly trying to understand why that was the case. And so I'm the type of person that will constantly be reevaluating my decision-making because I think we, what happens when you lose, right, is there's, there's basically, there's almost like a questioning of like, of, of what I did wrong, what, what, what went wrong here, what with my decision-making I didn't understand. And I was someone that kind of really, um, was vigilant about trying to not make the same mistake again right. or um, just trying to improve um, and tinker with whatever I initially did. And that'll go a long way, actually. Uh, most people play without having that that reflection. And like, I think, especially if you're playing, you know, Blitz and or some people like enjoy Bullet and all these things online, you, you, pl- you're, you play so much without any reflection on the games and so you have to kind of find that balance. 
yeah, you're right. I mean, it's easy to just get into like a, a three hour blitz session. And the next thing you know, you like wake up and you're like, well, what just happened? <laughs> you know, like without any reflection at all. Right, right. You know, it's interesting you use the exact terms dogged determination. Are you familiar with Dvoretsky's training for the tournament player? I am not. Uh, actually, that's, uh, I, of course, I'm aware of Dvoretsky, um, mm-hmm. but I actually someone that did not grow up on a ton of chess books either. So um, a lot of my teaching was explicitly through playing and revising, playing and revising. Um, and just Almost like editing a draft or a manuscript. Yeah, yeah, in, in a way, except I, it's weird because I honestly, I always was frustrated in academia when um, people said my writing wasn't great the first time. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> right? What are you uh, talking about? This is a work of genius. Yeah, no, I mean, I was someone that <laughs> actually when I was writing, I always was very conscious to play it over my head mm-hmm. many, many, many times before I actually put it down on the screen. I, I want to say on paper, but really on the screen. That's what, that's where it was pri- the primary, primary mode of uh of writing, uh, for my generation. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, that's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that because, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't really consider chess to be that way. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it, it partially is, I, I consider, um, uh, chess to be part art, part sport, part science. And frankly, I enjoy the art and the sporting elements of it. I don't, particularly enjoy the scientific aspect. So um, it's, it's funny that you, it's just funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I'm laughing because I feel the exact same way. I'm, I'm all about the art and I'm all about the sport and the science, yeah, you know, okay, it exists. And we'll, we'll leave it at that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk hoops. You, you're a big basketball player. I, I, it's funny because I would actually say for a long time, my basketball skill also mirrored my chess skill, although that has dropped off significantly. Um, are, you, are you a Knicks fan? Being from um, New York, I mean, technically I am, but frankly, I, I every year I I watch, I pick maybe like seven or eight teams that I find like or like I have championship that may have championship aspirations or that I find are really play well, and I watch those. And the Knicks haven't been that way in like ten years, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's true. Um, I don't watch bad basketball. It's like it really pains me to do to do that. So, um, but uh, but yeah. Um, I, yeah, basketball's always been a very, you know, significant part of my life. Um, I played, uh, you know, at every level until college. Um, I didn't play in college. Um, but I, I went, I wound up going to Duke university and part of the impetus for going there was to be around a basketball culture. So, um, so when I visited, I got to scrimmage with Kyrie Irving and uh, and the Duke team that had just lost to Arizona at the time in the tournament, um, Mm. Uh, Derek Williams, who actually wound up being in New York at some point, like had an amazing first half and they, they lost basically early and, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Like, you know, <laughs> Kyrie, Kyrie was, uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, you know, really guard him very well, but <laughs> not but many he, people can, but he couldn't guard me well either. So, uh, <laughs> we went, we went back and forth and it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then they put me in, um, uh, the, the basketball dorm at the time, at, at at the basketball dormitory in, uh, in my freshman year. And so uh, my year was Quinn Cook and uh, Michael Benajay, who eventually transferred to Syracuse, and, mm-hmm. uh, and Marshall Plumley, And uh, oh, yeah, okay. just the opportunity okay. to like, you know, play, play ball. And their offseason to play with them was kind of cool. Um, and also, you know, I, I played 
meant most days when I was in college, um, just in the gyms and so on. I, that was important to me to be around like a basketball culture. Yeah. I, do you see, uh, as somebody who plays both, you know, very, very well and very extensively, like, do you see any parallels between basketball and chess? Um, I think sometimes the parallels are a little bit overblown, um, in part because people want, um, people so desperately want to make chess a sport. And I actually don't see it that way. I see chess as a game with sporting qualities, but that being said, I do think there are parallels with respect to anticipation. Like, um, you know, I, I was, like I was psych- always a point guard. Well, no, I was always a point guard and just oh, kind of okay. seeing okay. things before they develop, you know, or like kind mm-hmm. of, you know, when you're making, making reads, um, you know, uh, you know, in, in real time, like at least as a point guard, you know, running, running fast breaks, running pick and rolls, you're, you're reading a lot of different coverages. And so, mm-hmm. It's the same, similar in chess. You, even if you don't know the particular opening line or something that you're playing, um, you have these. You have a bunch of pictures that are a product of the games and of you've seen before, and you're basically trying to play into pictures that you think you've seen that are you know um, that are good uh, without even necessarily realizing it. You're you're pulling on information that you've had before and trying yeah. to assess assess those things, and so. In some ways, there, there's there's that parallel, and of course, I think the other thing is there's you know winners and losers, which I mean is the is kind of I mean one of the the really awesome parallels about chess and you know basketball and other sport is um, you get you get a payoff uh, upon completion of what you're doing, which is just so rare in uh, in frankly, a work, most workplace environments, right? Like you don't know, you might've done something decent, but you don't, you might not know for years whether what you did had a, a real tangible impact on your company or so on. Right. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned you don't consider uh, chess a sport. And I, I want to ask you about that because as an athlete, as a basketball player yourself, uh, and as a person who has played in very serious chess tournaments, which do you find more exhausting? <laughs> Three hours at the rec, uh, you know, uh, playing some pickup games or like one tournament game. Well, and that's really tough to say. I, I think, I think for for both of those, I mean, I kind of would still be <laughs> wanting more when it's over if it's only yeah. three hours. But um, um, maybe if you up the the hours a little bit more, I, I think I'd stay. <laughs> ba- I'd say basketball um, would be. A I was trying to more. compare it to like you know the length of a tournament game. You know, getting the sure, ballpark. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. But my games are are rarely three hours. They're almost always longer than that. So, yeah. um, but but in all seriousness, I, I I think part of the reason for me is I've seen is you know there have been too many chess players that have been sick, effective enough or significantly effective without having the kind of athletic prerequisite that you know yes that's to fair. <laughs> you know, uh, a, a Magnus type, you know, yeah. and frankly, there are just too many individuals that are too successful at the game, not having that. So, um, you know, Magnus is someone to be lauded for, you know, his, his athleticism. Um, I think uh, sometimes it's a bit overblown how, <laughs> how, it, how athletic he and talented in that de- uh, department he is. I think it's just, he's, when you grade on a curve compared to you know, the other <laughs> chess players out there, you can see, okay, wow, this guy's like a superstar yeah. in every way. So, um, but that's, that's the primary issue. Um, and I think, 
you know, if you talk about modern chess today, um, I, this is why I tell a lot of people that aren't very familiar with chess but understand, you know, some sport, is when you when you uh, when you play basketball or or football or soccer or something, right? You you might watch game film, and uh, the game film will at best uh, constitute maybe at best, maybe 15, 20% of what actually happens in the game. Like right. it doesn't, it'll, it'll, um, it'll help, but it's not a predominant, predominant factor. Correct. Whereas yeah. with, with, uh, in, in chess, uh, if you, the opening aspect uh, of the game, particularly at the, particularly the higher levels, I would say is 60 to 70% deterministic of the actual outcome, the result of the game. And so, uh, in that sense, the, the preparation aspect is so much more skewed that it's, it's, I think that's another place where you have to kind of see some of the, the, the parallels. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Just the, the extraordinary emphasis that is placed on preparation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No I, doubt about it. I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned at the higher levels uh, and I know you're currently actively going for your GM norm. Um, I, I don't want you to divulge any secrets, of course, but, uh, you know, how's that going and, and what are some things you're doing to sort of, uh, pursue that in terms of selecting tournaments and, and in terms of just general approach? Yeah. So, um, I left my, uh, my sort of corporate America job, you could say in, uh, in January, 2019, I was working at uh, code Academy, a, a tech startup that uh, teach people how to program. And, um, I, I felt that, you know, in 2018, I got my first GM norm and I had made some real progress. And I thought, you know, every, what I realized is every tournament, um, every, every, uh, we had unlimited PTO at Code Academy and Mm -hmm. every, uh, unlimited paid time off. uh, That's a PTO. And, uh, that's rare, but (laughs) yeah, that's uh, a, that's a pretty nice gig. (laughs) uh, I feel like a lot of these tech companies are hip to that. Um, but Basically, what I realized is every vacation I took was to play a tournament. And then at some point it was like, why am I not doing this full time? Like if this is what I'm actually, is this, is, if this is my aim, why am I working in a job that's s- still uh, you know, giving me that opportunity to do this, but, not, but I could do it more? And so I just made the decision to kind of go for it. Um, and uh, I decided that like my 20s would essentially be about dream chasing and maybe my th- my thirties would be more about the financial foundation that one would like, would presumably want to build if they want to start a family and so on. So I made that decision in 2019. Um, and I left and I basically played more games than any chess player in North America. I was, it was almost 200 rated games. It was unbelievable. Um, (laughs) and, um, we're talking FIDE rated classical games. Correct. Uh, I think I landed maybe like 170 or 165, but it was a remarkable amount. I was playing two to three tournaments a month, every month and traveling like crazy. I made some progress there. I got my second GM norm in 2019. Um, I had some health related issues that really made the journey a lot more challenging. Um, a lot more challenging. And, um, uh, basically it didn't, it didn't happen for me in 2019 the way I wanted to, but I made progress. And I think probably the best highlight of 2019 was a game that most people know me for now, which is a, a game I played against, uh, Moisienko in, uh, 
in uh, in the, at the ExtraCon Open, which was, um, if if anyone hasn't seen it, uh, I would I, it, if you see it, you will understand. It's it'll, it'll be one of the greatest games you've ever seen. It, it's um, it's <laughs> nice. it was voted by some people at Chess.com as like the fourth or fifth best game of the year. I think it should have been one. Um, but it was a, I will never play a better game in my life. It was, it was, it was a perfect game essentially. Um, anyways, I, then, then coronavirus happened, then COVID happened. Yeah, right. so, and OTB um, just like died basically. Yeah. Right. And then I came back to chess, um, playing tournament playing in, uh, the middle of basically the late summer, 2021. Um, I was a lot more conservative through COVID than most people, um, mm-hmm. I recognize that um, I had I have family in New York City. I see I didn't want to compromise anyone, and I'm also generally just a little bit you know safer about how I move. I would say so. Um, but upon my return, uh, I was not the same player I was when I left, and so uh, and I think the I wasn't. I think I knew more about chess than I ever have. But at the same time, I think that there was a major market correction that that happened where there's a host of juniors um, that hadn't essentially played chess in two to three years and were hundreds of points stronger than they yeah. actually are. And I had a slew of tournaments in, in the U.S. where I played. Uh, I had these types of games where I conceded draws that, you know, which are basically like minus four, minus five uh, every time. And so yeah. um, basically the rating took kind of a serious dip actually in 2021 and now we're in 2020 and and the tournaments were also quite infrequent still just being in this in this covid environment there have been tournaments that are canceled you don't know uh especially in in europe the past when you know omicron wave happened in in late 2021 you know things were being shut down countries Mm -hmm. were back on lockdown so i was someone the reason i played so many chess games in 2019 was i was kind of a momentum guy i thought if i got enough shot attempts up there's right. going to be some good results. Catch fire, get on a hot streak, yeah. That's right, and it's just been tough to conjure that. So now we're in 2022, uh, amazingly, um, and I'm getting back on the horse again and um, trying to to build that momentum and 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 put it all together. And uh, you mentioned the norm. Uh, I do need one more norm, but for me, I really don't think about that that much. I think the rating is the harder aspect of mm-hmm. the the requirement because um, I, I, I liken the the GM norm to like a two or three home run game. And I liken the the norm, uh, sorry, the rating to batting 300 over the course of a season, you know, yeah. consistency. And I think consistency over time is much, much harder than the, you know, isolated brilliance, you know, playing, playing, playing great for a week, you know? So yeah. that's, that's where my focus lies. I, I've always had a, as a chess player, I've had a, a very high ceiling. Um, I've ha- I've had a, a, a too low a floor at times, and so that's what I'm. That's where I'm. Where I need to work now. Improve, elevating the floor. Correct. Yeah. Are you playing primarily in the United States or or, uh, or Europe when you're aiming for these norm events, or somewhere else? Well, it kind of depends on what what is financially feasible in part um mm-hmm. not only am i i not don't have i've never had a coach but i also haven't had any sponsors so on so i have to really be wise about um you know where i pick and choose and is and and people that you know play chess um and play tournaments ultimately understand that 
you know, it's not cheap to go, you know, you st- go somewhere for like a week, you know, food, hotel, travel, right. and so on. So, um, so I try to just kind of ensure that, you know, if I am making uh, uh, these trips that they kind of make sense. So to answer your question specifically, I've, you know, Charlotte has had a, a bunch of norm events, you know, um, I'm, you know, the Charlotte Chess Center has done a great job sure, uh, yeah. with norm events. So I play, I've been playing those a lot. Um, once in a while I'll play a continental chess event, although I'm not in love with those. Um, and, uh, and then I'll also, you know, play, uh, Euro- European events as well. So, um, I'm just trying to right now, I'm trying to get back to the, the 2019 flow, I'll say of tournament schedule. So, you know, I have a, I have a, you know, a, a Google, Google spreadsheet. <laughs> I have events and then I, you know, check the, check the, what I think would be the price of the travel and, you know, try to allocate a budget and so on, and then try to make it happen. And so that really, for me, I feel like that two to three tournaments a month, three is like at best, but really two tournaments a month is what I want. And, uh, I I'm getting that in April for the first time in a long time. So I'm going to Reykjavik from, uh, the oh, 5th nice. to the 13th to play the Reykjavik open. I get back on the 13th and then the 14th is, you know, uh, Ostrovsky and his team um, that are, have recently mirrored the Charlotte norm model are having an event from the 14th to the 18th of, of April in New York city. So I'm pay- basically playing back to back events and that was the way it was before. So um, I'm looking forward to putting my best foot forward in that direction. That's great. Have you played Reykjavik before? That's one <clears throat> that's actually on my bucket list. I would love to play there. Yeah, actually. Excuse me. I have to give me one second. <clears throat> Sorry. I hope you edit that. I just uh, <laughs> no. We're definitely <clears throat> keeping <me>. that in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I've actually been to Reykjavik three or four times. Maybe three times um, because uh, I had a uh, I had a a, a, a date. I, I'm I play for the. How, how should I put this? All right, let me start that over. So basically, I played in Reykjavik <laughs> three times. Okay. Basically, because when I switched federations, um, I switched to the, the Danish federation in in college, actually, to so that I was eligible to play for the Danish championship. And to, to do that, I had to switch. Um, I have a lot of uh, Danish chess uh, people that I have good relationships with, um, as a, as a, and I'm still a member of a Danish club. Um, and so one of my Danish club mates was someone that played in the Icelandic leagues, um, and, uh, and, you know, a team chess and in the Icelandic league, they offered me a spot to play for their, the, the team. Nice. And, uh, basically this was, this first happened, several years ago, I, I want to say it was like 17 or 18, but I, I can't be certain right now. And, um, the, the leagues actually happened to be like a week or so before the Reykjavik open. So I, it was just natural to just play it up right after. And so, um, and then I enjoyed the Reykjavik open so much that I wound up coming back on my own, even without playing for the league, because frankly, as a chess player, it's one of the the best chess environments you can have. Um, it's one of the best ones out there, basically, as far as tournaments are concerned. It's really the, the Harpa concert hall is worth a Google. Um, in fact, when I meant, when I say I've been to Reykjavik or tell people about it, I just say, Google the Harpa concert hall and you'll, you'll, you'll understand why it's uh, such a beautiful place to play. It just looks really great. 
And uh, and then of course, then Iceland Iceland is also you know a country that has its wonders that people um, also enjoy. So um, highly recommend it, honestly. That that's awesome. It's as I mentioned, it's on my bucket list, and it's one that I really really want to go to for a variety of reasons. So I'm. I'm thrilled to hear you're going this year, <clears throat> and hopefully yeah, we can hit an orm there or gain some rating. Yeah, yeah. The one the one thing about it though, I will say is Reykjavik is of, you know, they have a massive um, uh, tourist economy, and it's it is expensive, so mm-hmm. you have to definitely uh, <laughs> be comfortable um, with uh, with that reality. Um, but it's it's a beautiful place, beautiful place. Nice. Um, Kasa, shifting gears a bit, uh, you during during the pandemic years, um, you were streaming. Um, you and and one of the reasons that I brought you on is I, I really wanted to talk about uh, you know your your um, work there and what you do there. Um, so, um, help our listeners out who haven't watched your stream like I have. What is Chess Radio? Sure. So, um, Chess Radio is a a Twitch stream uh, where. I basically play chess and um, and talk about what I'm doing, um, all the decisions I'm making while I'm playing. While in the background, you have uh, hip hop or house music, um, primarily hip hop, but hip hop, house, and not some other genres of music um, playing in the background. And um, you know, all of a sudden, in you know April, March, 2020, you know, we had a lot more idle time than we had previously. And for me, (laughs) it was a a really good outlet um, to just kind of be productive. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Um, But it was, it was just a really awesome way to, to be involved in the chess community while you're kind of idle. Um, And for me, it also was an interesting way to connect with people that hadn't, hadn't had the type of exposure to chess, um, uh, that I'd had before uh, through my life. So uh, it was awesome to interact with people from, r- frankly, all over the world. I, I would do something during the streams at times where I'd be like, hey, where's everyone tuning in from uh, tonight? Usually I would stream in the evening. And I was just flabbergasted at all the countries that people would, and cities that people would say in the chat, whether it's like Japan, South Africa, Norway, Texas, Wyoming. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And um that was that was pretty awesome. Um, I think one of the things that made my stream unique, even through the the Twitch boom, which uh, um, you know, ch- there were, uh, chess really took off with people indoors yeah. and with Queen's Gambit and so on, was that um, it is very rare to find someone explain chess well. Um, and there are really popular chess, you know. Uh, chess uh, content creators now uh, it goes without saying but even so i i'm pretty confident that i'm the best chess explainer out there and i think part of the reason is because i never had a coach and so being able to crystallize difficult decisions um and kind of simpler language uh i think is something that has was a strength of mine and so and then also most people didn't really play music like that because of the copyright concern and so People are always asking me, hey, why don't you save your streams? Can you save your streams? And one of the things with Chess Radio was that the streams weren't saved um, because then I could bump whatever music I wanted. And, um, and then you also, it also created an urgency around you having to be there um, right. for, the, for the stream. And so I thought that combination 
kind of maybe a little bit different than the existing market. Yeah, you know, I was gonna, I was actually gonna ask you about that. You know, do you feel that being self-taught really gave you, you know, a unique perspective on, uh, on almost, almost like, you know, I, 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 when I talk to students, sometimes I call it talking to yourself. You know, um, one of my favorite chess quotes is that you should be able to explain any chess position to yourself in plain English. Um, which I believe is a, a quote from a Yugoslavian grandmaster. <laughs> but yeah, do you think that that had an impact in terms of, you know, how you're able to connect with that audience? Yeah, for sure. And um, just explicitly what I did as a, as a teenager, like really like 13, 14, 15, was I went to chessgames.com every day. I, I didn't have chess space or database. Or anything. I, I went to chessgames.com, which is a, a free website um, mm-hmm. for the most part. And uh, I went into, on the left-hand side of, of, of the window and on the website of the page, you have a list of current tournaments going on. And I would click on the tournament that was going on and essentially um, essentially pick, a, go through all the games that were there and then, and then kind of try to figure out uh, what was going on. And so I would play through all the games uh, that were in the top tournaments in the world, try to flip through, basically just hit the arrow key from beginning to end. It would be like a two, three minute process and then try to rationalize why decisions were being made. And a lot of times I didn't really know. And But then when I saw the same kind of movements happen again and again, it's like, oh, this must be how white gets to this particular aim or, you know, black is playing G6 here is prophylaxis against this move. And, and so by seeing something enough times, I was able to kind of piece it together and explain it to myself. Interesting. Almost, almost. I mean, in a way, kind of like a, a crowdsourcing of chess ideas. Yeah. And, and then they also had this uh, opening explorer on the right-hand side, if you scroll down on the, on the right-hand side of the page. And I would basically pick, I'd get to play like, six or seven moves in the opening, maybe, maybe a little more, maybe closer to 10. And then I could look at all the games from that position that they had in the chess games database. And, um, in fact, there was a little, I wasn't, a, they would lock you out. Actually, they, they, they would lock you out of the page. Um, if you kept clicking to try and get deeper and deeper into an opening line, but you weren't a, a member, um, I found like a hack around that actually. <laughs> that, uh, um, oh so man, that, I wish I would have interviewed you ten years ago because as you're as you're describing this, I'm thinking, yup, yup, I remember that. I used to use chess games too, and I, I would always get frustrated when it would say, "We're sorry, you know, you can't go any further or whatever." Yeah, here's the hack. So <laughs> I don't even, I don't even like. Basically, okay, chessgames.com. You- if you're listening, this doesn't exist. Uh, just press pause and and end of the podcast now. Go ahead. Right. So basically right before they lock you out, you could click on a game that's there in, mm-hmm. in the line you care about. And then you, on the page where the game is, there's the option, I think towards the bottom right hand side of the page, it says find similar games. And then uh. when you click find similar games, you're back in a page with the database of games they're trying to lock you out of. So um, yeah. And in fact, chessgames.com <laughs> is still quite useful yep. um, just because uh, its functionality with Lee Chess is, is really great. So, oh, you, know, okay. you know, you can basically copy paste any uh, chessgames.com URL into a Lee Chess study and it imports the games seamlessly. 
So wow, okay. it's still a really awesome, uh, awesome tool. Actually, if you if you you know do any uh, teaching. I feel really dumb now because I've been using the old school method, you know, in chessgames.com at the bottom, you can click the view for the PGN and then you can just copy paste the moves. <laughs> oh man, that's, that is uh that's like yeah. three or four. It really is seamless. You can take a, okay. just a URL link and put it, it's really beautiful. Oh man. Well that, that's going to save me a lot of time because, you know, I, I use Lee chess a ton. I'm a big fan and I, I always open the study and then I do PGN and then I go and copy the, the PGN from chess games and put it in the Lee chess study. So. You have just saved me an inordinate amount of time, and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you still do some teaching yourself and coaching, or are you almost like 100% on playing and training training these days? Um, I do uh, teach privately. Um, I mean, playing chess, unless you're, you know, uh, I would I, honestly, I would say unless you're like top 20, top 50 in the world, really like top 20 or 30, um, it's difficult to just to sustain yourself through chess tournaments. Yeah. Um, so for me, especially with, you know, what I'm trying to do and the travel required to become a grandmaster, um, I, I have to support myself. And so, uh, teaching has been a great vehicle to do that. Um, now that being said, you, I'm not maybe taking on, you know, as significant a load as I, as I could, because I do believe that it's difficult to teach a great amount and also still have the same personal ambitions that I have. And so, um, you know, you can, you have to kind of compartmentalize each experience because, um, the, 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 the private teaching, most of the time you're working with people that, you know, are in a different place with their chest development. So, right. um, so in that sense, um, I'm kind of, I, I do enough to support, you know, that my expenses and so on, but not too much more than that because, you know, chess teaching is as lucrative as it is, particularly in, you know, in some urban environments in cities like New York. Um, it's not, I'm not doing it to make money. You know, I'm doing it to, to in pursuit of a dream basically. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you do primarily individual or schools or both or? Um, it's all individual. Um, okay. Okay. So, and it's, it's, basically all zoom. So I'm, I'm usually on zoom several hours a day, um, just with like one, one hour sessions with people. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was another thing that was, uh, was really great about Twitch is, um, you know, people learn about you, hear about you that, you know, never, never knew about you and you get opportunities to essentially, uh, people, uh, you get more business, you know, people, you know, come around and are like, Hey, um, uh, I saw your stream. I, I, I really like the way you explain this. Um, do you teach, do you have, do you give lessons? And, right. and then, um, so that, that was actually a really, uh, particularly in the pandemic, it was just a really awesome, you know, way to, to get new business and, um, and, you know, expand your economy. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it it's nice in a way. It's, it's, it's weird because this new reality we're living in with COVID, right? Everything has, um, changed, you know, there's no way around that, but in a way it's, it's actually made certain aspects of chess in particular. Chess is a game that really can adapt to an online setting. You know, you can play it online, you can teach it online, you can study it online, you can connect online through Twitch and through the Twitch chat and through, you know, streaming. 
Um, so we're, I think we really benefited in a way from, from that symbiosis between chess and its natural connection to um, natural, na- natural transition to uh, an online sport, if you will, an e-sport. Right. And I think, you know, many, many jobs, right, obviously um, are changed the way they do business in some way forever, whether understanding that like having, you know, all this brick and mortar is not so critical or mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, there can be flex schedules or remote work. And I do think the way that, you know, at least personally, but I'm, I, don't, I'm I wouldn't probably not the only one, the way even, you know, teaching chess, uh, the way you taught chess is just different because, Previously, um, the paradigm, at least in New York City, if you had students, was to go to them to to teach, and now that seems insane to me. So, yeah, right, um, trying to know, travel around exactly. Yeah. yeah, you you're losing time um, traveling, and uh, you know that I mean that's lost <laughs> that's lost compensation, and so um, you know it's important. You know, it's important that, you know, when you're working with, if you're working with kids that they do have some in-person element, like I'm not someone that's going to be an advocate of, of, you know, virtual school or anything like that indefinitely. But at the same time, I, I now have had to tell, you know, uh, parents that like, Hey, like the game, the game done changed. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm never going back to weekly in person. Like, and so I've, you know, even personally had to work things out where like, I'll come maybe once every month or two or something along those lines. Cause it's just not, it doesn't make sense unless I'm being compensated for that, uh, that, um, that type of travel. It's you're, you're just losing so much time on, you know, the train or biking or however you get to and fro places. So yeah, no, I, I completely agree. When I when I was a full time coach, um, I had I had the same issue, and I live in a small town, you know. But if you're taking you know 15 minutes in between each meeting, you know, by the time you get to the fourth meeting, that's an entire other lesson you could have done. Yeah, yeah. And I, so, I would imagine in New York, it's significantly longer than 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not driving anywhere. Let me put it like that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but um, but yeah. I mean, that's. I would say, I mean, I'm not working exclusively with kids or anything, but you know, it's, it's something, it's a discussion I've had to have. Um, so do you find that, that teaching and coaching helps your, your playing career or, um, maybe no impact or is it harming it? How how do you feel about that? Is it, is it enhancing your, your skills? Are you learning more as you do it? I mean, you know, the old, you know, saying, or just you, when you, when you teach someone else, you, reinforce your own understanding. And I don't think that's untrue, but if the question is, does the teaching help my own game? I would say, no, not at all. Or <laughs> maybe, maybe a minuscule level because typically when I teach, we do have, I, I do a lot time to work on um, some tactics and, you know, I have to solve those tactics too. And right. so that, that might be the small, like, five to 10% where, um, or maybe 15, if I'm being generous, that where it can help my game. But the, the issue is that, you know, thinking on the level that you need to think to be effective is just different at different levels. And so, yes. um, yes. uh, you know, I think it, I, I, I do, again, I go back to the word compartmentalize because I, I do feel like that is what you have to do to be successful. And, 
Um, I even, I even kind of think of it like someone that might be a personal trainer, right? Like they, they, they're forced to do that themselves. If they're, if there's, you know, some dude that's like, you know, working out on his own and so on, his session is way different than what he's going to work. Um, in most cases, what, how he's going to work, uh, you know, uh, a student uh, or a pupil, you know, so, um, and he has to separate those things to be effective. It's not like he's getting his work in when he's, you know, helping someone else. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Um, what about just for fun? You know, ser- serious players like yourself. Um, I- I'm always curious. Do you do you still engage in any chess for fun? Like, do you go play blitz in the park? Do you like any chess variants? Um, what do you, do you do any chess for fun stuff? Uh, obviously, apart from your screen. Um, v- very rarely, actually, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's funny that you you mentioned that. I think through the pandemic and even a bit now, I did play a, a little bit more blitz than usual. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually had a rule before when I was, you know, globetrotting in 2019, I had a rule, no, no online chess, no blitz chess at all. Interesting. Okay. And I didn't touch any games online because the way I thought about it was I thought about, especially given that, you know, I'm, I'm an, I'm old in the chess world now. I'm 28 and that's, that's, <laughs> that's old, you know? So as far as the, the people you're, competing with and so on and so yeah um the way i thought about it was i considered chess like boxing to the extent that you know every every fight um in boxing is one fight closer to your like your retirement and so i thought that yeah. I, I, to me it was like no wasted energy that was kind of one of the ways i okay. thought about it and so what what was the point of putting all this energy into games that didn't matter when I had such a, such a serious undertaking on my hands. When, when the pandemic happened, it was like, well, I'm not getting games in for a long time and I like the game and I want to play. Like, so it kind mm-hmm. and then the streaming happened and that paradigm shifted. Um, but I'm actually trying to get closer to the one that I had in 2019, just cause I think I was most effective there. And, um, because there is this addictive quality of, basically binging games on the internet and so and then we get back into what you know i mentioned earlier about having uh you know a lot of a lot of play without the necessary balance of analysis and so on and so um that's kind of that's kind of where i where i landed with where i'm landing with it although the legacy of of 2020 and, and 2021 is that it's been hard to shed the online component completely because I was so engrossed in it for such a a long period of time. So that's that dynamic. And then as far as just the joy of the game, you know, I do, I I still love chess. I mean, that's, that's why I'm doing it, but it does, you know, when something is, is more of a job or, you know, it, it, it definitely is different. And, um, you know, I mean, people say, oh, you love what you're doing, you know, then you never have to work a day in your life. That's true. I don't feel like I'm like, you know, working like a real job or anything like that. But at the same time, the, the, the what you, what you need to be, um, the way you play to be successful or the way to be successful in chess is not necessarily, uh, at the high level is not necessarily mirrored with, uh, how you got into chess and why you fell in love with it. Like, yeah. You, that's you, true. Yeah. You, right. You, 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 most people fall in love with the game because of the, 
they enjoy playing and, and really the beauty and the aesthetic of it and so on. Um, but if you're more results oriented, your decision making changes a little bit um, because you're you're make you're doing uh, you're you're doing you're performing gymnastics over whether to take risk or not, mm-hmm. uh, what moments to really go for it or not, and um, uh, as a result, that is just a. The fact that you're even doing that that calculus is just very different than how you how you were reading and reacting when you started, and so something has changed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you you described it extremely well, right? Like performing gymnastics to um, to de- determine the the risk you may or may not want to take. I, I love that quote. Uh, that's that's such a, a clean way of putting it, and and it really helps you almost visualize this new relationship that you have to have with the game when you're playing it at, at the serious level that you are currently. Right. And, and I think, you know, people, I have even thought myself, Oh, when I'm free, I'm going to play better. Um, if I'm a grandmaster, then I can do whatever I want or so, and so on. You no longer and, have to worry about the goals and the, the right. Yeah. And I'm not even sure that's true. Actually that like that you're more effective when you don't have that urgency. Um, uh, I, almost I heard, like the urgency, the pressure that it puts on you almost helps you perform better in some ways. Right. Well, I heard, I heard uh, Matthew Sadler talking about this um, uh, English grandmaster. And he was saying that like, yeah, when he left to play and, you know, to work in IT, which is his profession today and has been for like 20 years, he was like, oh, well, now, if I come back to just now and then, I'm just going to be playing so well because it's not like I don't need the results um, the way I did when it was my profession. And it just wasn't the case. And so mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see like I, I, what what Sadler was kind of referencing in a way, too, is like if if uh, if Magnus actually um, Magnus Carlson elects to not play in the next world championship cycle, but still be involved in chess, as he says, may be a possibility um, if he can maintain the same effectiveness. Um, because right. when that drive is not there, you know. Um, it's harder to it, perform. Yeah. I mean, how could it not be, right? If you don't have if you don't have the drive and the desire. Yeah, yeah, no, I, for sure, for sure. Well, Cassa, this, this has been uh, magnificent to talk to you and to hear your insights and, and again, to hear your very unique uh, and, and fascinating, frankly, um, chess story. Um, would you have any you know, words of wisdom or uh, advice for people out there, maybe who want to get into streaming or maybe even who just want to you know, sort of the fo- follow the path that you've had of you know, forging your own way and, and improving their game? Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of things. Um, I'll just say some of the things that uh, come to my mind. Um, well, first of all, with respect to streaming and content creation and that type of thing, I really believe if you do anything consistently enough uh, and then long enough, even if you're not really good at it, you're going to have people attracted to your content. It's just, it's just the way these things tend to work. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, if you do, if you're releasing stuff like every every day for a year or you know five days a week for you you'll be surprised at how quickly traction will uh you'll get traction and i think you know most people um tend to 
overestimate what they can do in a year, but underestimate what they can do in 10. And so if you have, Interesting. if you're, okay. if you're consistent, you have that long view, you can be successful really in most things. Um, I really believe that, um, as far as maybe, you know, just if, if whether you're into chess or not, and just improving and so on, um, it just really, it really is important to kind of lean into the the journey and the process of it. Um, as cliche as that must must it may sound, one of the things that was reinforced through the pandemic personally was basically the idea that like you know nothing is 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 guaranteed, but also that you know things might necessarily might not necessarily happen on your timeline, and you have to be comfortable with that. And so I think a lot of times, um, particularly with you know, our young people today, um, and, you know, we, may say, we might say, what are you saying? You're, you're young. What are you, what are you saying? <laughs> but I think a, a lot of uh, uh, my generation, maybe younger generation, we don't finish things. We tend not to finish things. We tend to have, you know, our first bout of adversity, and then we stop. Um, and that's just kind of the vibe I get, is that people are, um, people are, are kind of wanting to be they're wanting to be seen more so than they want to be great. If you, if you put in the work and, you know, then you will ultimately be seen. Um, but you have to yeah. kind of put in that work to kind of get that reward that I think people kind of tend to want on the front end. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would, I would say though, that's, those are kind of the, the initial things that, that come to mind. I think that's great advice. And yeah, in terms of your comment about about age, you know, it feels to me, and maybe you have the same experience, but every year that I go and play a tournament, it seems like the average age of my, of my opponents is decreasing. You know, <laughs> like they're just getting younger and younger. Yeah, I mean, especially in, I think it it really is is particularly um, the case in the U.S. You, yeah. you, if you're, there are certain countries, the U.S. being one of them, where there's such a, such an oversaturation of, um, of, of ambitious and talented youth. And right. so, um, it, it does make you, you know, kind of, it can even make you question your, your, uh, where you are and, and why you are where you are. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, still that you're, that you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you'll be fine. I, I've always wondered about the idea of hosting like adults only tournaments. I wonder if those would be popular, you know, just have a have a 18 plus section or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, I've had I was having a conversation with um, with someone um, maybe a, a few years back, um, because what you do notice is that a lot of people that played chess, um, particularly up through the scholastic ranks, ultimately drop it, you know, when they go to college or when they, you know, start professional life and so on. And, um, one of the things we landed on was that people tend to, to leave the game because, uh, the kind of the reasons they got into it go away. And so, uh, the people, the relationships they formed aren't there anymore or, um, the, the social interaction, especially with computers, how the postmortem is just really rare. You know, most yeah. people just go straight to their 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 rooms and check the, the engine. And so, um, I think having kind of grown folks um, and, uh, together. <laughs> hey, there's the name. There's the name. Grown folks open. Yeah, like <laughs> then then you have you know this opportunity to get more than more than the game. You get you get that other those other elements 
that, you know, make us people. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's part of the reason actually, you know, I, I, I really enjoy coaching. I I do enjoy coaching adults probably, uh, because at the end of the day, I can be way more loose with my language. Um, I also, they also have that life experience and it's more of an exchange. So, um, so I think that's what we're all kind of looking for, whatever the domain is, you know? So, yeah, the human element. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, Cassid, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me. Um, this has been a, a real pleasure and, um, I, I look forward to, uh, watching some more chess radio. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I've definitely been, uh, infrequent with it, um, as my, um, travels and so on has, has picked up. Um, but uh, I'll pop in now and then, and, uh, yeah, you just have to, you, I guess, I guess uh, people tell me when, when you, when you follow or subscribe, then a notification comes yes. to your email mm-hmm. and then, yeah, you just, you just gotta, you, you gotta be quick with it. <laughs> so, so I like it. It's like the exclusive content, you know, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> So if you want to do that, by the way, it's twitch.tv slash Casablanca11. That's Casa with a K. Um, we will also publish that link with the podcast when it goes live. So you can just click right on it. You can uh, subscribe. You can follow Casa. And uh, anytime he does, in fact, uh, fire up the chess radio, you'll be able to tune right in. Thank you. Appreciate it, Pete. Um, man, you're, you're making me wonder if I should do it today or something. But, uh, we'll see. <laughs> hey, if you do, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you. <laughs> For sure. All right. Thank you again, Cousin. All right. Have a good struggle. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. <laughs> <laughs>